Welcome to the Joyful Friar podcast. It's great to be with you again. And I'm really uh, grateful and excited for the opportunity to be with Karen Newell. Karen is an author and a specialist in personal development with a diverse body of work that rests upon the foundation of heart-centered consciousness. I want to hear all about that. Her personal growth programs, workshops, guided meditations, and teachings enable individuals to achieve life transformations toward greater self-fulfillment, contentment, quality relationships, and choices aligned with one's soul's calling. I'm very interested in that, too. I want to know what your soul's calling is, Karen. As an innovator in the emerging field of brainwave entertainment, audio meditation, Karen empowers others in their journeys of self-discovery using sacred acoustics, recordings, and other techniques. She teaches how to enter and engage with your inner world to connect to guidance, achieve inspiration, improve wellness, and develop intuition. Karen is co-author with Evan Alexander III, MD, of Living in a Mindful Universe that came out in 2017. At international workshops presented with Dr. Alexander, Karen demonstrates key practices of consciousness exploration, heart awareness, intention, maintaining neutrality, emotional management, and cultivating internal knowing. Uh, and you can find a lot of her work at www.sacredacoustics.com. So welcome to our little show, Karen, and we're really honored to have you. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Previous experience of you is you as uh, a celebrity at conferences where you're surrounded by people all the time. And I've never been one of those um, people that was comfortable. I'm strongly introverted to begin with. So I'm, I, I don't have the energy of an extrovert that wants to come up to the person that just gave the keynote and, and you know, get their attention or bother you at breakfast or anything like that. But um, I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to have you to myself and, and to share you with my audience today. Well, thank you. I feel less like a celebrity than my partner, Evan Alexander, who is really the one people are more attracted to. But uh, I'm an introvert like you, so all of it can be very overwhelming at times. I'll go easy on you. Yeah. <laughs> the work that you're doing with sound and acoustics, meditation, the heart centering, I'm a member of a semi-contemplative religious order, and to uh, the voice of the Holy Spirit in one's heart is just so important to me. How did you get involved in this as such an important part of your life? I was raised as a Methodist, and my uh, family was very active in the church, and yet I wasn't sure I really believed in what I was being told. And every summer we would go to church camp, my brothers and I, and I remember it was on the uh, the beautiful coast of Oregon, the beach, and just absolutely amazing nature. I just loved, loved, loved going to this camp, and yet. The counselors would talk about God and they would say, go out into the woods and commune with God. And I would go out there and think, okay, God, where are you? I expected, you know, as a child, I expected a heralding trumpet coming down on a cloud or something kind of obvious. And there was nothing obvious at all. And so I thought, well, this is nonsense. And I thought, well, I can commune with the trees. I can commune with the ferns and the wind and the sand and the ocean. And so that's what I would do. And I remember one day saying to one of these ministers, now this was in the 70s, so it was like a guitar playing, you know, uh, younger sort of, of man. And I said, you know, I don't really think I believe in God. And he said, oh, 
that's okay. It's not for everyone. And I was so relieved. And I said, well, can I still come to church camp? Because I just love coming here. And he said, well, of course you can. It's about the fellowship, the connections with others. Don't worry about God. Just keep on feeling that connection. And so I stopped worrying about the dogma. And yet I continued to look for answers in life. I wanted to know why am I here? What is my purpose? Like so many of us do. And I wasn't finding the answers in religion, at least not satisfactory answers. And I wasn't finding them in the secular teachings either. Uh, No one could really tell me why we are here and what is our purpose. I was also very fascinated with love. I didn't understand it. I would hear it talked about. I would observe people who looked like they were in love, but I didn't feel it. And as I went through life, that's what I was curious about. What is this love and what is the meaning of life? And uh, again, I wasn't finding the answers in traditional sources. And so I began looking in other sources. So other kinds of uh, alternative, I'll say, spiritual texts, things like uh, Eastern traditions, theosophical, that's more Western esoteric traditions. Mm-hmm. I started looking into all of this and I, I started seeing that uh, the things that were in common among these different spiritual traditions is what I really felt most strongly about. And so this idea that we have a soul, this made so much sense to me. While the, you know, the dogma about religion didn't make sense, the idea that we had an eternal soul did. And so why is that soul going on this journey? That's what I wanted to know. And this led me into all kinds of different readings. But eventually I realized if I want to understand my soul, I have to experience it. And that's when I began, yeah, that's when I began uh, different uh, forms of meditation. And I wasn't very successful at it. (laughs) And so it took some time for me to really find the tools that would work for me. I got very frustrated. I was a busy project manager. And every time I would go to uh, try to meditate, all I could think about was deadlines and conversations I needed to have. I couldn't find that inner peace. Mm -hmm. And it was first, it was this... uh, certain quality of sound that helped me get there. Things like gongs or tuning forks, crystal bowls, brass bowls, they all have this sort of monotone kind of wavering quality. And it was a certain kind of binaural beats that eventually led me to the ability to quiet my mind. That's when I became very interested in the heart because another form of meditation I learned was Sufi heart rhythm meditation, where basically you just align your breathing patterns with the beating of your heart. And the more that I did that, the more I started to realize uh, my heart had held on to a lot of old hurts over time, and this was my opportunity to clear them. Once I cleared them, that's when I found that inner peace inside. And so with the combination of the sound and this awareness of the heart, I think what the practice you're talking about, centering prayer is what I know it as, is very similar, as you say where you focus your energy on your heart, you know, the, the move, just moving your awareness to the heart moves you out of that thinking brain. That's what really helped me uh, find my soul, find my direction. Hmm. While you were at the beginning of when you were talking about having Methodist roots and then uh, theosophy being one of the uh, things that you found later, do you know L. Frank Baum? the writer of The Wizard of Oz? I do, uh, yes. You share that in common with him. He's from a Methodist background. He was born in 1856 and had Methodist clergy in his family, but had the same struggle that you did. He wanted uh, more than it was providing, especially in terms of 
of meaning and purpose and connection. Uh, and he went into theosophy, kind of tried, he and his wife tried to stay, and, and they were very involved in the suffrage movement. He died the year before women got the vote in the United States, but it was a lifelong work of his, he and his wife and his mother-in-law. But um, you might you might find a kindred spirit in L. Frank Baum because he. he no, I already he, have. I already have because I did not know that about him. And the idea that he was involved with the suffragette movement is incredibly meaningful to me because, to be honest, uh, one of the things I have explored is potentially what I've uh, been up to in a past life. And mm -hmm. one of my strongest past life memories is of being a suffragette. Oh, is that right? Yes. And well, so I, I think you and he are kindred spirits. I he, do. I love that. I'm going to have to do a little research. Thank you for do. that reference. You can start with my book if I can self-promote. It's on the wall yes, behind you. Yes, Yeah. Uh, and, and Toto to the, the uh, Wizard of Oz is a spiritual adventure. I, that show would, would come on once a year when I was a child, and everything stopped. Everybody cost it. was before there was a Super Bowl, but we had... Wizard of Oz parties. When I was 11 years old, I was in seventh grade in Salem, Oregon, and our our class decided to do the play Wizard of Oz. Uh -huh. And so I tried out for it. I wanted to be the witch, and I was not given the role of the witch. Too many kids were uh, uh, trying to get in the play, but I was given the role of Miss Gulch. Uh, oh, sweet. So I yeah. love the title of your book. I will be getting that soon. And I don't have a dog of my own, but my best friend does, and I get to kind of share. And Toto and I are best friends. And oh. I was just with him this morning, a really sweet little rescue poodle, only like seven pounds of love. But uh, she was Toto for the play. It was funny because I would come on the stage, and she would wag her tail, and she was supposed to not like me. But it was just the you know, elementary school uh, shenanigans <laughs> of a play. You were just too darn likable. That had so much meaning for me. Good. Well, uh, I hope I've introduced the two of you. Well, tell me more about person on retreat, that member of your church or whatever, and said, I'm not going to answer that question anymore, is, is etymology, that, that believe and beloved are the same word. Nice. Uh, and that, that if you get a person thinking about where do they know they're really loved, who is your beloved? already in the presence of God. You don't need to go searching somewhere else. It's already kind of right for doing. It sounds like you're helping people um, discover inner gifts. Somehow you help uh, draw forward. What are some of your favorite experiences in the work that you're doing? That is exactly my favorite experience, is watching people find these answers for themselves. Because so many people, you know, like me, I wanted to be handed uh, lists with bullet points of things to do to be spiritual and whatnot. And uh, it just doesn't work that way. You really just start exploring, finding techniques that work for you. And watching people do this when they write to me and ask for guidance is so fulfilling. People have, have said they've found, you know, connections with their departed loved ones. They've found uh, ways to let go of old childhood traumas. They've found most especially, I love when they find that inner spark inside that represents that soul that unique soul of who they are. And when people find that and they're like, oh my gosh, I now I understand what it's like to be loved, to feel a connection to something greater. People don't always talk about God and that doesn't matter to me at all. It's, it's this feeling to a connection of something greater. That's what's important. And people will use different words, but the most common word they use is love, feeling that love that you were just talking about. Yeah. And many people don't have that love in their lives. They don't have a reference point.
for someone who loves them. And so I ask them to find, you know, find examples from their past where they felt that. Yeah. And some people will, maybe it's just from someone who was kind to them when they were on a bus, you know, not someone who loves them every day. Sometimes it's an animal. I know for me, it was dogs because uh, I was looking for that. uh, It was HeartMath Institute. They have done all kinds of research on the heart. And what they tell you is if you can generate feelings of gratitude in your heart, that you'll become more coherent. And so this was not easy for me to do. I could think of things I was grateful for, but not generate those feelings. And it was memories of my dog, Puff, when I was a very young child at age six, when my mother first took her in as a stray and she had puppies under my bed. That to me was a magical <laughs> Uh, I'll never forget that. And that's what got me that spark. So for all, not everyone is going to think puppies under the bed is a magical moment. That's a big mess. I you know? <laughs> yeah. This is what I love guiding people to do is find those moments that they have and to use those as, ref- as reference points to generate that love now. This is for people who just don't have it in their lives or who have lost, you know, the only person they've ever loved has died. And so it's watching people move through that is so satisfying. And of course, I get my share of complaints and, oh, this is nonsense. It doesn't work for me. And all I can say is it doesn't work for everyone. And we all are really responsible for seeking and finding those techniques that work for us. For some, it's going to be movement. Others, it's going to be a particular meditation, a particular prayer to a, a deity, you know, whatever it may be, we each need to find that method. Uh, kind of an introduction or early on in your experience of doing acoustics and meditation, it sounded like you became aware that around your heart, and I think you mean your physical heart, uh, you became aware of uh, a dark energy or uh, me- uh, painful memories or trauma or something like that, that through your meditative practice assisted with acoustics, you were able to release it. I'd love to hear more about that. Yes. And uh, there were really two techniques that I used to address this. And at first it was sound. I remember when I first started listening and getting quiet within, it was very scary. I would feel this underlying anxiety that I just absolutely, you know, in emptiness and in my heart and just completely just despair of being lonely. And uh, I cried for about a day over this. And What I eventually realized in my intellectual mind, because what happens to us doesn't always get processed intellectually, it gets processed emotionally or not processed in this case. And what I finally realized was back when I was, again, around, this was around seven years old, uh, my parents got divorced. My father had been in Vietnam for two tours, two years while I was this young child. I felt like I didn't even know him. And yet... He was very intriguing to me and I wanted to love him. And when they told us, we told, when my parents told my two brothers and I they were getting divorced, we were asked, which parent would you like to live with? So we were eight, seven, and six. And uh, my brothers both said, oh, you decide. We can't decide. They were just so upset about the whole thing. And I was a little colder. I said, well, I think I would like to live with my mother because dad, you haven't been here for me. And at that point, I shut down my heart. (laughs) I decided as a coping mechanism as a child, I don't need my father. I haven't had him for these two years. I'll be just fine. Thank you very much. I shut it down. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. That was the source of my despair. I had he then my parents got divorced. He was in the army still. And so he moved around. I didn't see him much as I was growing up. And he became this sort of fantasy figure to me, this fantasy father that, you know, I knew and now we have a healthy relationship. And yet I never had that loving father as a child. We can yeah. never go back and, re, you know, redo that. And so I went through my life uh, in relationship thinking I didn't really need the person I was in relationship with at a subconscious level. And so my relationships were not healthy and satisfying. And so it was when I was doing all of this hard work, I was married to in my second marriage. And all of this uh, healing and letting go made me realize the mistake I had made to be with someone I didn't really think I needed. I didn't really love him the way he should have been loved. And so I ended that marriage and focused only on finding that love from within, finding that love that I didn't have as a child. And I talked to my father about this. Of course, he felt guilty. He felt all of the things, but nothing he said could go back and uh, erase what had happened, that experience. So I had to sort of recreate that experience of generating that love from within. And that's when the rewards really started to take place. So the, the episodes of crying, of feeling sadness and lonely, those were all releasing those feelings. And the scariness was the fact that I would have to feel those feelings again. And mm-hmm. just by making myself go through that, I was able to release. And it took many sort of sessions over, I would say, two to three, maybe even four years. I had some residue during the uh, COVID years, as many of us did, uh, when we were faced with so many unusual challenges. And I had another dark night of the soul. This time, my uh, despair was related to uh, trying to be careful here. It was a platonic relationship that I was uh, processing. And in this one, all of the triggers were there to show me what was still inside of me that needed to be released. And I had learned by that point don't blame the other person for what for what they're doing because their behavior wouldn't bother me except for what was inside of me and that's when i realized i still had some residue of uh, not feeling worthy of not feeling good enough of allowing someone to put me down and i went through another sort of cathartic facing of those fears and once i faced them i could feel them going away this time because i had been through it before and on the other side it's replaced with this, I would say this essence of your soul, this unique part of you that becomes available to you, where you can really start to live in the presence of the soul you came here to be. And before I used to think that was what I was doing. And now I think it's more about how I am being, how I hold my energy when I go about in the world, how I hold certain feelings in my heart because I know whatever's in my heart is affecting other people around me without having to say a word. That's what heart math tells us. So I think I've thrown a lot uh, at you. I don't know what you'd like to explore any deeper. Well, I'm thinking that uh, two things. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Catholic and Christian, but the one that I believe brought me into being is love, not just lovable or loving, but is love. Yes. And that everything that is emanated in creation from that love has love embedded in it. And he, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That if a, a person can just 
not be just truthful, but be truth. Somehow to, to be truth. My my order's motto is Veritas, which is Latin for truth. And that's part of why I'm exploring as I am and hanging out with people like you and others at IONS and other conferences and stuff, because I believe that anytime we look for what's true, we're also looking for God. So all of that, uh, I might use different ways to describe it, but uh, I have a, a journey that has uh, you know, parallels with what you've just talked about, having to find your peace with the parents and, and people in your life. Yeah. And you reminded me of something I often say, which is be the love that you are. And that's exactly what I found when I generated feelings of gratitude that turned into love. And there was this one time when I was driving along as I was practicing this and I just saw these beautiful blossoms on, on cherry, uh, cherry trees, cherry blossoms. And I just expressed Instead of with my thoughts, oh, those cherry blossoms are so beautiful. I reached out with my heart and felt the cherry blossoms. And that reward was unbelievable coming from nature. I felt it from human beings as well. One time I gave a $20 bill to a homeless man and I felt his gratitude. I didn't just hear his words. So the rewards that come are unbelievable. And when you can become the love that you are, I completely agree with you. We are all made of that spark of love. I think it's no wonder that we call the act of procreation making love because Mm -hmm. when you bring, you know, when you create a a home for a soul with love, that's going to attract a loving soul into that body. It just seems to me a beautiful way to kind of shift our awareness about why we're here and love So often, you know, the Beatles songs, you know, all about love and love is the answer. We say that all the time, but when do we feel it? We feel it in those uh, poignant moments of loss. When we lose someone, when someone's given a, you know, terminal diagnosis, that's when we feel that love. What if we could bring that love into our everyday moment? That's something I strive for so that when I'm out in the world interacting with people, that's what they're feeling is is love because that's what we're made of. To me, that's how that's what we uh, return to when we go home to the spiritual realm is that love. Why not bring some of that love here? So I love that uh, not all religions are focused on that, but I know certain factions are, and that is such a, such a beautiful thing. You make yourself available to be a guest on a podcast like this. Uh, what are some of the ways that you're making your message available to anybody that wants to take part? Well, we do it through the sound on sacredacoustics.com. We have a free download. People can go try to see if that uh, 20 minute recording might help you get to a deeper part of your inner awareness. We also offer uh, the whole mind bundle is something that was used in a psychiatric practice in a pilot study that showed a 26% reduction in anxiety after uh, just two weeks of regular listening. And those recordings, when the COVID pandemic first began, I reduced the price significantly, but also made a free option. So there's no barrier to anyone who wants to uh, try and quiet the mind. And I always express my gratitude to anyone who will take the time to do that, because with the knowledge that we're all connected, I know that when someone else makes that same effort, it's also helping me and many, many others around you. And we have a, uh, a series of 
videos that teach you how to use them, also completely free. So there's really no barrier. And mm -hmm. the other way I do uh, this work is with Eben Alexander. And so, of course, he has his amazing story of being in the afterlife and the incredible scientific background that helps him to explain how his brain could not have produced that experience given the disease he was in. And so I've learned so, so much about after-death communication, how common it is, how people can really maintain these connections with loved ones who have passed, not necessarily to... Uh, you know, stay living in the past with that person, but to bring more fully uh, their particular essence into their lifetime here and now. And often people find that through their connections with loved ones who have passed. I like to do that same thing. Uh, a, a large part of the people who um, who find me and, and uh, are interested in things I offer are either Catholic people, Christian people of other uh, backgrounds, who hear a lot about uh, near-death experience and afterlife communication and all such things, but sometimes are kind of suspicious of it. And I find that I can help put them at ease and talk that might not sound uh, so foreign. And I, I really enjoy doing that because I do believe that the universe is one and that everything that's in it uh, has a place. One of the things I'm interested in because I do a lot of afterlife work is time past, present, and future, and helping people to imagine the, the present moment of a person who's died and the future moment of a person who's died and maybe still lives outside of time but still has sequence, who can still change and grow and have new experiences. Yes. Um, uh, and I, I named this podcast uh, The Joyful Friar because the 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 person who founded this order, St. Dominic, was known, that was his nickname, the Joyful Friar. And when I was looking at joining a religious order, I, I just on my own decided to leave out any of them that had pain, suffering, crown of thorns, drops of blood in their name. Not because that doesn't, those all could be, you know, uh, meditations that one could build a life around, but I just wanted joy. And so I'm interested in what gives you joy and what gives you joyful hope when you're not having a good day or when you're in a bad season? You know, I, I really rely on that connection with nature so, so much because having it as a young child was, was really a beautiful gift because at any time, I mean, every morning, all I have to do is uh, look at the sun and see what a beautiful role the sun is playing to bring us life here on earth for plants and humans and everything else. And, you know, just the beauty of life itself can be seen in nature. That's where I find it. That does it now, yeah, there are times, though, when it's not so simple. I have to say that. And there there will be challenges. You don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like we can't go through those desperate times, because those are what really teach us how to have that joy later on, the contrast between them. And yet nature is where I turn when those moments are uh, there. And my dogs as well. <laughs> dogs just have this ability to show unconditional love. And any time, yeah, anytime I'm feeling that despair in my heart, my dog looks at me like I'm the most special person in the world. And so nature and animals are a beautiful source of joy for me. I love gardening. So watching seeds that I planted, you know, grow into beautiful flowers is also very satisfying and joyful. Sure. I often recommend to people that 
if they're sad at heart, uh, that they release some of it through their breathing. Because every time we, we inspire, we take in nutrition, and it's no more expensive to take in a deep breath and a shallow one. You can't, you don't have to say, well, I wish I could do that, but I just can't afford it, Father. Well, no, you can't. You can take a really deep breath and it's not, it's not any more expensive. And once your body's nourished, then all you have to do is intentionally expire, throw out the toxins that are in your body. That's happening all the time. Uh, you could do it with just greater intention. I love that though, because the breath is such a beautiful tool because it's happening all the time. So it's no wonder that meditative teachers uh, direct you to use the breath as yeah. a way to sort of guide things. But the inhale and exhale, you can inhale all kinds of things and exhale all kinds of other things. Yeah, it's a great yes. way to bring power to those mental intentions. And doing that next to a green plant, that green plant is throwing off that toxic oxygen that it needs to get rid of. <laughs> That's a great missing piece. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. That's part of that cycle. I just tell people, go sit next to a green plant and uh, thank it for giving you what you need and then give it what it needs. It just, you, you can just sit down and do that. And you'll probably, your, your, some of your worries might be with you when you get up, but you're probably going to leave some of them. <laughs> right no, there. I love that too, because as you exhale, you're actually helping the plant. So exactly. you're bringing life to the plant. That's beautiful. Do you have a message that you wish you could give them that they could take to heart? All of us are very unique and special souls. And so when you're feeling that despair, when anyone is feeling despair, just remember that unique part that you bring to this world, no matter what it is. And, you know, we often say no soul left behind because all souls are part of this journey. And so anyone who feels like they're not uh, really a part of it, who is separate, that's an illusion. And so you know, my own experience of feeling that abandonment as a child, I think all of us experience some sort of abandonment when we come into that human body and we leave that source, that home that we come from that's full of love. Of course, we miss it. Of course, we feel abandoned, especially because it seems to be part of the plan that we forget that feeling and we have to rediscover it somehow. And so just reminding people that we're all a part of that one soul. And anyone who uh, might be feeling like they can't make a connection, I always like to offer my own heart. My own heart, which is very strong, is always sending out positive energy to the world. And if anyone wants to tap into that energy, you have my permission. It's kind of like that... Uh, uh, you know, inhale and exhale, all of our hearts are kind of, you know, beating together. I, I wouldn't say they're, the beating isn't not just the physical part, but it's that exhale and inhale of the heart as it kind of expands and contracts around the body. So that's what I would leave people with is just remembering that that's how your heart really works. And so having that awareness really helps to understand maybe, you know, why you might be having conflict with someone in relationship and keeping that smooth heart opening really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Well said. How can uh, our audience contact you or, or uh, take advantage of programs that you have to offer? Well, you can go to sacredacoustics.com and I shared some of the things that you can find there. You can reach out to me directly if you would like through the contact form because I review all of those. And you can also go to Inner Sanctum Center. Dot com. That's where I have a website with 
Dr. Evan Alexander, where we teach people some of these concepts and help uh, with struggles through, you know, loss of loved ones and finding purpose and things like that. Okay, great. Well, I'm sure that people will take advantage of that opportunity. I have really enjoyed this conversation with you, and it's really gratifying. I've met other Catholic uh, priests, clergy, uh, who also have just the just the most warm and open demeanor that is very refreshing. And we need that bridge uh, from religion to the more secular spiritual world. And uh, thank you for what you do. Sure, sure. Well, God bless you for, for being with us today. So, audience, thank you for being with us today, too. Um, my guest has been Karen Newell, who I hope that you will um, get to know better and perhaps take part in programs that she has to offer that could make your life better and make the lives of people around you better. So for now, this is the Joyful Friar signing off and uh, wishing you joy. God bless you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Joyful Friar. You can visit me at nathan-castle.com. Send me a message by clicking the contact button. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can make a donation by clicking the donate button. See you next time. God bless.